Sometimes you meet some inspiring people that are carving their own life in their own terms. Unconstrained by societal pressures and expectations, they listen to their own hearts whilst using their logical brain to create a path that fulfills their souls. I met Fran three years ago when I moved to Bath and we instantly connected. I'm not sure whether it was her open-mindedness and carefree nature or whether it was because a conversation with her was like visiting a library where various topics on psychology, philosophy, science, well-being and more are all available sourced to feed my own curious nature. I think it was all of the above. I liked her instantly. Fran had been asking me to speak at her Bath Girl Geek Dinner group in the beginning about landscape architecture for the past couple of years. Between doing my chartership and working, I politely declined or delayed it. And this was because I felt as though I didn't have something unique to contribute about the profession. And I was still figuring out about what my contribution was going to be. When I started the BIN podcast, I told Fran that I was ready to give the talk. So in January 2020, I spoke to a small group of women about what I was doing on this platform and a glimpse into the work of a landscape architect. It was in participation that I realized the value of community. And for some time now, since that experience, I have been pondering over what it means to create and share, give presence and support in the space of a tight-knitted community. Fran comes from a tech and science background, as you will soon find out, and I felt that she would be a good starting point to begin uncovering this question of mine. The conversation was quite spontaneous. In the midst of social distancing, we recorded over Skype as I tested out the distant recording features. That spontaneity means that you will hear a lot of my giggling and laughter as I speak with my friend, attempting to paint a picture of a life story. We have never fully spoken about her travels and stays around the world and what that has taught her and about how that has changed her experience with the landscape, which was really interesting to hear. Fran, thank you so much for your time. I can't wait to give you a real-life hug when all of this is over. And enjoy our conversation, everyone. My name is Fran. Uh, I have been living in Bath now for almost 10 years. So, nine and a half, but that's round up, 10 years. <laughs> and um, I have been working in a lot of different companies in that time, uh, mostly finance uh, in the last couple of years, uh, more finance and technology. Uh, a lot of uh, startup companies and uh, in my recent endeavor, let's call it that, endeavor. Um, 
the startup company is called Specter Technology, and we were lucky enough to be bought by a London-based company called Octopus last year. So um, I was able to access the company, which I did uh, in December. So I'm now a free bird, as I like to call myself. Um, <laughs> but um, I have been studying part-time with the Open University within the last six years. So I'm doing a bachelor's in physics. So I'm now focusing on getting this one done. Uh, but then I also realized that this alone would be boring. So I started a software qualification with a company in Bristol called Tech Talent Academy. And I've been doing that since January. Um, and since we've been in lockdown, I realized I needed to learn other things. Otherwise, I would get really, really annoyed. So I learned how to juggle. I can juggle three balls now. Yeah. Oh, well done. I did yeah. ask you about your juggle, the juggling yeah. ventures. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good, good. I'm working on my fourth ball, so we'll see. I've got okay. it here. Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, I've been, uh, I, I play the guitar, uh, I do yoga, that type of stuff. Um, but I've also been involved with the uh, tech community here in Bath and in Bristol. There's a big community here. Women's Tech Hub, uh, Basketball Geek Dinners, Bristol Geek Dinners. And um, that has been amazing. And through them, uh, I've been encouraged by a lady in Bristol called Siri uh, to restart the Basketball Geek Dinners because that had died a little bit of a death after everybody that ran Basketball Geek Dinners a couple of years ago graduated mm -hmm. uh, to Bristol. Mm -hmm. uh, and even though it's only 15 minutes, it's a long time. So, um, so Bath didn't have that anymore. Um, so yeah, I tried to re, um, uh, restart it about two years ago. And mm -hmm. I've been running it since, um, trying to get women effectively involved in, uh, in tech and TV topics and things like that. Um, yeah, so that's, that's me here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, so you said there were there were a lot of women in the tech industry. Um, so how 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 did you start? You know, um, finding out about the network and um, and just basically getting yourself not well, necessarily established, but yeah, just getting into that community a bit more. How did how did that work for you? Um, yeah, so the main thing was when I uh, started working with the latest uh, tech startup, uh, Techle, that was about three and a half years ago, um, I realized that I wanted to know more about the tech side of things. I, I, come, I come from the finance side of things, but I've always, always been quite interested in the technology side of things. Mm -hmm. And because I'm studying physics, um, I feel I have a very logical brain. So I always quite like that. Um, but I've never thought about um, being a programmer or doing anything with it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But I was interested. So, mm -hmm. you know, that was always the thing. And um, when I started working for Seckle, I realized that there are those groups out there in Bristol. 
Um, and at that time, that particular summer, they did do a conference, like a conference thing on a day, on a Saturday, I think, mm-hmm. um, for women in tech. Um, and I had a new colleague at that time, starting at Seckle, another lady, and I basically just rudely slapped her with me to that event. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, to to just get us sort of like in the vicinity um, because we were still at that time we were still hiring at Seckle and I wanted I was very keen on getting a diverse workforce in because mm-hmm. I realized that having diverse people people with different backgrounds is just really helpful um, and we had already made the decision for example that our developers weren't coming from the finance industry for example um, right just so they they wouldn't have that baggage, which sounds really bad, but you do have that baggage if you come from the industry. Um, You might just want to do the things how you've always done them. And our software was supposed to be different. So we already had hired software developers from like Maiden Academy, uh, which is a BAS-based program, uh, which uh, is just amazing. And, um, yeah, we wanted to keep that going. And I was just really keen on connecting with those uh, organizations in Boston, Bristol, to mm-hmm. ensure that we get our name out there and get, sounds really bad, access, I'm saying that with quotation marks, access to those women or to those people, mm-hmm. to diverse people, mm-hmm. um, that we wouldn't have that problem in our company that we ended up with the same type of people, effectively, mm-hmm, yeah. which is not useful, particularly in a startup. So, yeah, so that's how that started. And I just basically, through that, I got to talking to those people and just went to more meetups in both Bath and Bristol. So much so that Siri, who runs the Bristol uh, tech uh, mm-hmm. conference and all that stuff, basically then approached me and asked me if I was interested. Well, I'm saying interested. She also has this wonderful thoughtful nature where it's basically like, are you interested? Please do. Um, yeah. So that's, that's how I then got, uh, got started with, uh, with doing that. And through that, I was just felt I needed to stay in contact with all the organizations here in Bath. And that's just, a lot of great things happening in Bath and in Bristol. Um, but it is obviously a challenge to try and go out there and connect yourself with all of them and um, get your name out and make sure that they know who you are. Um, but it is possible, particularly in a place like Bath and Bristol, because in the end, they're quite small communities. Mm-hmm. Um, so once you know one person, it's very easy uh, to get access to other people, and everybody is really, really helpful here and supportive, and mm-hmm. will, you know, guide you uh, if you need help uh, and, and give you information. Mm-hmm. Who else to contact? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because obviously, uh, Bath um, Eat Girls Dinner. Um, you know, um, obviously, I'm from a landscape background, um, although I'm not necessarily from tech. Um, I'm doing the podcast stuff, which I guess you would. Would you, would you, would you coin it under tech or would you like, yeah, what is, like, what 
what kind of things would you have to do in order to be considered as someone who was in the tech industry? Um, I think these days there's not really that much to be considered to be somewhat in the tech industry. <laughs> to be fair. Yeah. Yeah. Because like like you said, I mean, doing a podcast and like with that potentially working, uh, do, having your own website and, and having a newsletter, all of those require some, some tech uh, knowledge. And even though there are a lot of pro programs out there that you can use and, and website builders out there that you can use, you still have to do some bits and bobs yourself mm -hmm. um, and have to have some form of understanding. But really what I always try to emphasize when it comes to Basque geek dinners, it's, it's about the geekiness. And geek is mm -hmm. literally, I mean, it has been, unfortunately, very much linked to this, like, white male computer nerd. But mm -hmm. really what genius is, in my mind, and in, in a lot of other people's mind, is, is when you're really passionate about a topic, that's when you're a geek. You're a geek because you really love something and you want to share it. Mm -hmm. um, and even though I try to have some form of tech angle with it to make it suitable for basket geek dinners, mm -hmm. uh, I generally like to have a two-way approach because um, I like to have a talk that's more about um, personal development and that doesn't have to do anything with, with, with tech. And another one that is sort of like geeky and related to tech. That's mm -hmm. kind of like I generally like to do it anyways because I mm -hmm. think that's helpful for the uh, women that attend because apart from overcoming the, uh, the tech phobia maybe um, we also have to overcome a lot of other things uh, being from mm -hmm. any form of minority you know being faced with uh, all of those mental blockers so yeah so that's why I like to do it that way yeah. and I like to encourage uh, women to speak. I mean, the other really important thing that we try to achieve is to encourage women to talk and to speak and to practice presentations mm -hmm. in a really group and safe environment, um, which hopefully gives them the confidence then to go out and go to normal tech meetups um, mm -hmm. or have the courage to then do it within their own companies and, mm -hmm. you know, be really helpful. So. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I, I think a lot of the the uh, one of the biggest issues we deal with is you know the imposter syndrome, or, or or just having that entitlement to be in a space and to to own own the space. Which I, I I can speak from experiences. You know what um, I also I struggle with when you you know you enter a space and you feel like yes I am meant to be there and I I do have you know the necessary expertise or skills and experience to, yeah, to, to share and to communicate that with, with the people there. So, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Great, yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. It is challenge, yeah, exactly. And I, I can speak also from experience because I obviously work in those wonderful male-dominated areas, such as, you know, tech, finance, and physics. You know, again, it's also not. Uh, I mean, there are females there, particularly in the astronomy side of uh, the physics, but uh, generally, physics, science is also very male dominated as well. Yeah. So you face those 
same challenges and all of those wonderful industries. Great. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I, I've always wondered what yeah what the world would would be like, you know, politically and socially, structurally, if if women did, <laughs> like right from the beginning, sort of taking the lead, <laughs> or, or you know, and just sort of yeah. Um, took that role that, well, obviously, the male population did. Um, well, yeah, I mean, the irony is that I come from a place where that was the case. I mean, I was born in the, when Germany was still divided uh, in the east side, uh, so in the former uh, GDR, and um as much as we had oppression and all that wonderful stuff, you know, uh, state, big brother state, um, mm-hmm. nothing compared to what you get now to be fair. But, uh, <laughs> but what we did have was uh, as equality. I grew up with seeing my, my female, like my mom, aunts, like everyone, they worked, you know, everyone was treated the same. Um, there was no division there because as a country you can avoid or you can just chuck half of the workforce you know on the sidelines um mm. so mm. in the GDR it was just very normal that all women worked uh, in every work you know in factories as much as in admin jobs or whatever so so it was very strange for me when uh, <laughs> when I realized that that wasn't the same anywhere else in the world or in other places in the world, even in West Germany, really. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> you, well, you've lived in a, in a few countries now, um, haven't you? Uh, do you want to tell us a bit, a bit more about that? Where have you sort of, um, yeah, located yourself, po- uh, well, <laughs> before settling into Bath, or, or maybe, maybe not. <laughs> 10 years is quite a long time, gosh. It is. <laughs> <laughs> it is, yeah, it's crazy. Um, yeah, so grew up in Berlin. Um, so I was seven when the wall came down, um, and that meant for the city itself, it, it there was a big, big change. Um, it was quite, it felt quite gray before because uh, in, in, in the east, you just had a lot of coal and fabric, you know, that type of stuff, like factories. Mm. And not too much green spaces, I have to be honest. Um, there weren't that many at that time. I don't think there was an appreciation for green spaces, really. <laughs> um, but if you go to Berlin now, it's completely changed. You know, there's definitely more green spaces and there's more uh, done about the city, making it whole and making it appear as one big thing. I mean, you can still see the different um, city centers of East and West Berlin and stuff like that, but it's different now uh, and it it feels uh, you can breathe more, I feel, when you go there. Um, I, I lived in Hanover as well. Um, which is yeah, a smaller city, kind of like the size of Bristol in the middle of, of Germany. 
it's it's supposedly the city that if you want to learn high German, that's where you go to learn high German. Okay. Um, well, like a uh, posh, like a like Queen's English type equivalent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because so many weird dialects, um, and it has some parks and stuff as well. There is. What what is different to 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 like England, for example, is what really struck me. I remember the first time I come I came to London is, in London you have a lot of really tiny parks, like those little like community parks, like everywhere, like little pop up things. Yeah. You don't yeah you don't have that in Germany. In Germany you just have one big park and that's it, you know, and everybody goes there. There's yeah. Not so much the concept of that, uh, of of having like those nice small community gardens everywhere yeah um, but locally like um in your local neighborhood you would essentially have like a park a, a big park or, or a big park that 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 is surrounded by maybe like i don't know five neighborhood communities yeah it's it's not the same it's not the same concept as it is here it's weird mm-hmm. I think the only time when you have some, like, we wouldn't call it parks necessarily, um, what you consider parks here. It's more like having a little bit of green with, uh, say, a playground or whatever. That's what you have. So uh, Mm -hmm. it's like housing around it, and then in the middle you have, like, a green, like, grass and and some, like, that's like, yeah. that's how, as far as it goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, That's a picture now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's uh, yeah, and it's it's so strange. I think the most striking thing I remember is the concept for English gardens or garden or parks here is that you can use the whole thing. You know, you can use the grass and the trees, and you can walk anywhere. You don't just have to stay on the pathways and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That is not the same in Germany. In Germany, basically, if you go to like a park, and I say proper park again, the big one, mm-hmm. um, you stay on the pathways, you know, it's frowned upon to walk on the grass because that's just to look at. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's from a concept point of view, it's just the weirdest, weirdest thing. And I remember. Is it still this way? And is it is it uh, throughout the whole country, or is it sort of in certain in certain areas only? I mean, certain areas are worse than others, uh, depending on what park you go to. Uh, yeah. In some areas, some parks, people have claimed it as as you know outdoor spaces now, um, but it comes it comes with big warning signs around how you're supposed to behave and things like that. Mm-hmm. In Germany, don't we? Um, a little bit of food. Um but, but I remember a couple of years ago, uh, I had I had an English friend visiting Berlin, and we went to uh, to Potsdam. Potsdam is uh, there's a big park called Sanssouci, uh, which has this, like uh, old sort of like seventeenth, uh, eighteenth century house and uh, like kingdom thing, and and there's a big park around. And it's it's beautiful, but it, it's definitely one of those where you're not allowed to walk on the green. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got so weirded out because my English friend obviously was walking on the grass, and <laughs> I was 
you know, I, I, I kind of had to tell her, not off, but I kind of had to, I, I would, I would walk on the grass with her, but I was like so acutely aware of the fact that this is not something you're supposed to do here. And I was just really glad that no one was like coming and, and watching us and stuff like that. But yeah. man, that freaked me out seriously. <laughs> and, and <laughs> but it, it, that would never, that would never freak me out here because I know it's totally okay. Mm. Mm. So, yeah. So that is very strange, and that's I think when it comes to that, the, the, in Germany because we just love rules, everything is regulated, and that even goes down to the parks and, and the recreation areas. They're also regulated. Whereas mm-hmm. um, here, they're, they're, I think they're there to be appreciated and used. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just slight weird difference. Mm. It's really interesting. Yeah. There's this, like, cultural perspective. I know it's really weird. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and then and then after, did you did you move to the U.S.? Um, yeah, I moved to the U.S. after uh, after I was done with my A-levels because I just wanted to uh, do something. So I, uh, like, traveling, exploring the world. Um mm-hmm. I was uh, was an au pair for a family in in Anchorage in Alaska, um, so that is obviously very different. Um, when it comes to like American spaces, I mean Alaska is just a tiny bit tiny bit different uh, to the rest of the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, because you're literally in the wilderness, uh, even. When you live in Anchorage, which is a big city, 250,000 people, I think. I realized that I lived in a lot of places where there are 250,000 people, apparently. Um, <laughs> That's like your sweet spot. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, but the thing how American cities obviously build is that even in Alaska, or particularly in Alaska, I suppose, it's spread out over much, much bigger space. Um, yeah which effectively means you have to drive everywhere. But mm-hmm. um, it also means that um, you're effectively in the wilderness mm-hmm. um, straight away. And it was quite common that in our backyard, there were like moose. And uh, I never had I never had bears, I think, in my backyard, but there were some in other backyards, so it's quite normal. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So that's that's the difference, yeah. But but what always struck me, what was weirded me out about weirded me out. I mean, America is, is, is a vast space, but I started to realize what I like about Europe is the fact you can walk everywhere. You can mm-hmm. just walk to the town center or walk, you know, or take a tram or a train, and just you can't do that in the U.S. You can't do that in Anchorage, even if you just want to go you know, for a walk in the park, you yeah. basically drive 20 minutes to then walk mm-hmm. um, hour and then you drive back um, mm-hmm. because of the vast space in between. And that I found really, really strange. You, you do get used to it quite quickly, but it's just really strange. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, like our European concepts a little bit more, I have to say. Yeah. Did you um 
I don't know, did you find yourself uh, connecting with the landscape and nature in a different way from moving to these different, you know, places where you have different perspectives and appro approaches to how you use the land, basically? Um, yeah, did you find yourself changing from living in these spaces and adapting? <laughs> yeah, I remember that um, I always loved the uh, mountains and trees and stuff like that like my family we used to go on holiday regularly to Bavaria to uh, this place literally by the Austri Aust Austrian border with like high um, mountains and stuff like that and I loved it um, I was never scared of it I, 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 I wouldn't say that I became scared of it in, in Alaska but what has changed is the fact that you realize now you're in the wilderness and if something happens to you, you're screwed. Mm -hmm. um, so there was a very newfound um, uh, how, a respect for nature mm -hmm. and stuff that I found in the U.S. that I didn't have before, I have to say, mm -hmm. um, just because it seemed so vast and strange and you could just run into a moose or a bear or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, every corner and yeah I found it hugely challenging and I really also enjoyed it but I remember that was the first time where I thought wow you know like this is crazy and we are humans and we are occupying the space but here we are actually not making it our own it's still wide and it's a space and we're just sort of like visiting and yeah. that's different from Bath and Berlin and stuff like that, because there we just made the space our own. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so I found that very interesting, I have to say, living in, in Alaska is, uh, was uh, uh, humbling in that, in that sense, I have to say. Mm -hmm. um, it was absolutely amazing. Uh, I loved it, but uh, yeah, that was the first time where yeah, we had that, that type of feeling, I have to say. I never had that before. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, amazing. Um, yeah, having lived in um, lived in a place like that where, yeah, sort of nature just consumes your whole surrounding and it's just, yeah, the wilderness. My sister, um, she was going to her friend's um, Hindu about just pre-lockdown period um, and um, yeah I think she had to drive through um, like some highlands in Scotland just a short part of it but she was like you know like like I was really I was really scared because you know if, if something happens to me then <laughs> there's no one to help me what do I do and yeah it makes you also think about the skills <laughs> that we're lacking to a certain degree because we've become more, I don't know, internally focused or just, yeah, uh, just the way things are changing, really. Yeah, we're losing those necessary survival skills. <laughs> yeah, I, I did learn a few things, you know. I you learned that, that bears don't, yeah, I learned that bears generally are not out to eat you, you know. They're just generally scared, so... If you can make loud noises and sounds, they would generally try and keep out of your way because they're actually more scared of you. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's a tidbit that I did learn. 
I can never remember which which of the bears you're supposed to play dead and which ones you can go up on the trees, you know, because it's like, I think <laughs> black bears, uh-huh. yeah, is, again, I, that, that would be a really useful skill to know which, which one is which, uh, so I always get that wrong. Uh, I think with brown bears, you can climb up on the tree because they can't get you. With black bears, I think you have to pretend you're dead because they can climb up after you on the tree. Uh, yeah. So, right. But it could be wrong and it could be the other way around. And I'm not quite sure if I was ever in that situation, I would be. Yeah. Thank you for that. I thought pretending to be dead was a myth. I didn't realize that that was an actual thing where you have to, yeah. With some, yeah, I think with some it is because you can definitely not outrun them. Even brown bears, even those big, big grizzly bears, they actually get quite a bit of speed on you. Yeah. And it's right. just, yeah. Um, but generally, I think that the most important thing I learned was try to avoid them, try to be loud. Um, and then they try to avoid you as much as they can, mm-hmm. you know. And when they just come out of hibernation, that's like the worst thing you can do because they're literally very hungry at that time. So, (laughs) 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 I can't uh, make a fire or anything else, but that's that's the thing I know. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) better than nothing. (laughs) Uh, And then and then afterwards, you moved to Bath from. So actually, I moved from Berlin to Alaska, and then I moved to Hanover, and then I moved from Hanover to Bath. That's kind of like how I did it. Um, Yeah, and uh, it was mainly because after I lived in Alaska for a year, I just felt for a change. So I didn't just want to go back to the same place in Germany um, Mm -hmm. where I grew up. Um, I felt I had outgrown it, um, and my mom had moved to Hanover, so I moved to Hanover. Um, because that's what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I stayed there with her for a few years. Um, and it's it's a nice, nice city, nice enough. Um, and, and, yeah, but I, I love speaking English. And I, um, I'd never lived in England before, but I had come to visit when I was like 13 uh, for like two weeks. Uh, lived with a host family in Margate. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was mainly that. So I came here through, when we talk about communities, so what I did as my traveling at that time was through couchsurfing. Oh. Uh, yeah, so I stayed with just random strangers, which did not, which my mom didn't like, but hey-ho. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of kindness in strangers, and they like to uh, put you up and uh, give you, like, at least a little bit of a their space on their floor mm. so that was funny. yeah mm. and I got to I got to Bath um, for the Jane Austen festival um, and I just uh, I just fell in love with this place I don't know there was just something about Bath for the first time in my life where I chose to stay and I chose to move myself mm. like in previous places I never made the choice because I liked the place, the choice was always, I mean, Berlin, my family made that choice for me, obviously. Anchorage, well, I, the host family called me, and I chose the host family. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, again, was not a choice. But that, for the first time in my life, was I just fell in love with the place and with how it looked and how it was and the feeling I had inside me when I, how I felt when I was here. Um, and there was just something about this place which I just really loved. Um, I decided to move. Yeah, and stayed. Yeah. Yeah, there is something quite special about Bath. It's, um, yeah, it's quite classical. It's got history. It's a World Heritage Site. But it's also a city that, in a way, is trying to um, change, you know. It's not completely like Bristol where it's, yeah, I don't know how you could describe Bristol. But I don't, there's like this youthful city you know, I don't know, for me it's proper city vibe, but that's probably not in comparison to like somewhere like London or New York. Um but yeah, uh but Bath is it's still a city but it's more quiet. Um but it still has life. It still has life because of the universities and of the communities that you talked about as well, the tech industry. Um and and, and I feel like it's still finding itself in a in in, in 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 more of that sense, you know, um, do you do you get the same feeling? I do. Yes. I mean, uh, it's because the thing is, it's fifteen minutes to get to Bristol. It's about an hour and twenty, I think, to get back to London. Um, so it's wonderfully situated in those between those. I find, and I don't know if it's also the West Country vibe or whatever, but it's it's for me, it's it's what you said. It's the fact that you, it's very small, but it's big enough. It's like, it's a weird thing where you can walk everywhere if you want to, uh, because it's small enough for that, but it's still big enough to give you some form of, um, you know, a feeling uh, with not feeling lonely or whatever. I mean, you know, at the moment, but um, generally, there's, there's always so many tourists coming around, you know, uh, visiting this place, which I just find really special um, to be in a place where other people are interested to come and visit. And then it's just so greatly situated, you know, between all those like little hills. Um, It's so easy to get out into the green spaces. Um, There's so many lovely parks. There's a river. It's so easy to just get out of the city Mm -hmm. nice and quickly. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Berlin, it would have taken me a long time to get out of the city. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not the same here. Here, it's just really mm-hmm. easy to go outside, and it takes me like five minutes, and I'm by the river. And mm-hmm. I just love that. I just love the fact that you've got this wonderful nuance. And I think for me, because I've lived in the big cities and all that jazz, I come to appreciate this the smaller, the smaller ones, the ones with the compact, small, you know, we have everything that we need, but in a, in a more easily accessible distance. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, um, I'm going, um, I'm, yeah, I, I've gotten in touch with um, your friend, Adam, and I'm going to schedule some time to speak to him as well. But I know one of the things he's trying to push for is um, you know, the, the, just that we, we should all be cycling more or, you know, having more like shared spaces and that sort of thing, which, yeah, which would be really special um, if we're able to encourage more of that just because of the, the, the compact sort of, yeah, 
I don't know entity that Bath is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. I think it is. It would be possible in Bath, and I mean, as as much as what is happening right now is obviously very scary and and weird, but. What you can see is that there is this need for community and for community building. And there's so many people that want to help and uh, want to do something now and want to support like their streets and their neighbors. And, and that I find so wonderful. And it also hopefully will spill over once this lockdown is done and, mm-hmm. you know, help, help us going forward. Um, mm-hmm to keep building those, those communities and talk about alternatives. And yeah, I, I find that really, really great. Um, because it's, it's, I find this is always so important. It's like whenever you move to a new place, um, it always takes a little while. I found on average it took me like a year to get sort mm-hmm. of like situated mm-hmm. in a way that you kind of like know your way around, mm-hmm. but also have a little bit of a group of people you can go to, talk to, um, Mm. do things Mm. with. um, Mm. And then from there, you're trying to build something further, something more sustainable for yourself, right? Like build it up to to a group of of friends. And um, that's that's always a challenge. But I found in Bath, actually, um, not so much. Um, from all the places that I lived in, like after I lived in Hanover for uh, five, six years. Mm-hmm. In fact, yeah, there's the group of people that I knew at that time in Hanover to what I knew here, the group I had here. There's no comparison. I definitely know and have known more people here, bigger groups of people. There's just a lot of little things, a lot of community things happening, which is yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, no, you're right. I, I, I do like that as well. So like, you know, even when you're living in Bath, like I, I, I lived in Lark Hall previously, like previously, and now Bath Eastern, and you do feel like, it, you know, there are their own little communities with, you know, things still happening in the, in themselves, even during, during this lockdown time. Like I got a letter. Um, I don't know if you've had some some sort of similar things, but a letter from a, na- a neighbor living on the street say like, you know, I live on this street, and if you are self isolating because of COVID nineteen, then please reach out. And it's just someone taking the time to print out <laughs> this little leaflet and just handing it down to be done. And, and it makes me feel because I just recently moved here, so it makes me feel at home already, even though, um, yeah even though I haven't really started to get to know the community here, <laughs> my neighbours, <laughs> who are also self-isolating, but yeah. <laughs> so yeah, um, what, what, what does the word community mean for you? Oh, that's a good question. Um, hmm. I think it's a collection of people uh, that I can rely on and they can rely on me. And not just rely, I suppose, but also just be able to talk and exchange opinions. And yeah, so it's a mixture of, of friends and, and people you know. But I suppose as long as when you see them, you know, there's a bit of a, you know, I like, they like to talk to you and say hello and 
that feels like a community, I suppose. Mm-hmm. It's not, yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense, I suppose. But it's, yeah. I, I, I think that the hello and hello thing, I think it does make sense to me in the sense that you're sort of acknowledging the other yeah. person being there in, a, in sort of similar space. Yeah. yeah, in recent in recent weeks, I had that with my uh, my my local postman, really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's nice, isn't it? You get used you get used to those people, and they're always sort of a, you know, and he's a he's a lovely chap, um, and uh, it's only because I've been more at home, obviously, and I was here when he, he his packages arrived. But yeah, it's it's been really nice. Um, to just, you know, and even then be on the street and see him and say hello. And because one of the things really that was lost in a long time is when I talk about community, my community is not just Bath-based, obviously, because I have people uh, from that live in Swindon or in Bristol or in London uh, that I would still consider my community because it's more spread, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. Because with the with the... Uh, connections you make. I mean, you you make your connections here, but people might move away, and with some of them, you're still in contact. So I feel that's still a community. But um, I think what what happened over the last couple of years, though, is that that meant that the local community, like just your neighbors and the streets, so they got a little bit lost mm-hmm. uh, through that. You know, you because. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How many of us really do know our neighbors, right? It's um, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's absolutely right. Yeah. It, anyway, go on. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been it's this weird thing now where with like the tapping for the NHS, you know, on Thursday evenings and stuff like that, people, I think for the first time in a long time, start seeing who's actually living like across from them or next to them. Because everybody's mm-hmm. out, you know, doing that, and it's mm-hmm. it's really nice and powerful in a way. Um, so ideally, you want to build it back, right? You want to build build it back to have your local community and other people that live like in the same street. Um, but also, obviously, you want to have the freedom to build your community as you see fit. You know, like mm-hmm. um, the tech community, the women's community, and offer support. To each other, and fortunately, mm-hmm. with all those uh, texts that are out there these days, with Slack, with Skype, with all of those things, you can do that, right? You can build those communities and share resources mm-hmm. and experiences and things like that in a way that we weren't able to do before, um, which I think is, is amazing. And that that yeah, because. I think it, it, it's nice if we basically feel both, right? If you feel part of this local community, like local in the sense of your street, mm. your block, wherever you live, but also part of a global community, right? Yeah. Like, such as, say, the global tech community, global physics, global landscaping community. I'm sure there's one out there. <laughs> yeah, it's, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. So it's yeah. nice to, to have all of those things and build those communities together and I think we can and I think it just makes it so much more special. It also helps um, with regards to certain side effects of, of group things, you know, I mean, racism and all that stupid stuff. I mean, having 
community field trip might help uh, combat that a bit more, specifically the global communities, I think. Mm. Mm. I would hope so. Uh, when it comes to stuff like that, I'm still an idealist. Um. <laughs> <laughs> what What do you think um, are the qualities that or, or uh, the essentials that um, sustain a community? Uh, communication is key, um, I think. Like, if there's no communication happening within the community, and that could be uh, online as much as offline, uh, you can't build a community. Because um, you have to build a rapport, you have to... Um, know who's there within your community, who you can go to if you need help. And if there's no communication, that's not happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, personally, I think communication is key. And that's where like those new tools help greatly. Because the other thing is, with, um, with things like Slack and uh, online uh, meetings now, virtual meetings, we for for a long time, I think, offline meetings, like if you create a meetup, say even for Basco Geek Dinners, at one specific day, at one specific time, you exclude people that cannot come to this meeting, mm -hmm. um, such as, you know, I mean, mothers of children, you know, I, I know a lot of women that always tell me they have to arrange babysitting first and things like that, because they're really trying to come uh, to those meetings because they love them. But they might be hindered by that. But you equally have people that have, you know, that might be having a disability or having an anxiety and a suffering. So mm -hmm. this is where the online stuff, I think, helps massively, like uh, using Slack um, and other things to communicate between mm -hmm. people helps a lot to, um, to combat that um, and to get hopefully also to feeling lonely. I mean, that's the whole key, isn't it? The yeah. fact that mm. might have similar experiences, but they are in a different place. But yeah, so yeah, communication personally, I think is key. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, very good. Uh, yeah, I think even though, you know, like, at a, partly in my own influence I, I I think I had this view that you know it's not the same as seeing a person you know face to face and meeting them obviously it's not but at the same time it, it is a tool um, yeah it is a tool that we can use especially in times like this <laughs> um, yeah and also for generations I mean at a, specifically at a time like this I think it's easier for say, you know, like our generations and the younger generations to be able to, you know, just grab your phone and <laughs> and FaceTime someone and Skype someone. But for the older generations, it's actually harder and they're, they're not, yeah, they're not used to doing that. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it also, I think what, what if you're suffering from anxiety or you're not sure if you want to go to like a meetup or whatever, it might be able to help to have this like initial online contact with someone, you know, just to overcome this hurdle that yeah. when you then want to go. Yeah. 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 So are you, so I, I don't know if meetup will actually start providing 
or extending the you know online sort of option, isn't it? Um, after this, but is that something that you think about doing for the um, for the meetup group as well? Yeah, I think so. I was already toying with this idea beforehand. I was never really sure how we could do this and what to use for it really that was kind of like my main hurdle and I'd never really looked into it properly mm -hmm. but I always quite liked the idea that people that couldn't attend or for whatever reason you know would be able to maybe uh, attend from home or watch it later or something like that depending on mm -hmm. if the speakers are okay with it um, mm -hmm. or be able to ask questions beforehand and things like that so yeah yeah, I'm definitely interested to see how we could potentially make this work. Mm -hmm. um, and I do hope that that meetup um, do keep it as an option. I mean, I know that they're quite keen on that they were created because of physical meetups, offline meetups. But um, yeah, I, I just, yeah, I like to be in, as inclusive as possible. And I know that uh, at the moment, or previously, sometimes we haven't been as much as we could, um, just because our timings weren't as great for people to be able to attend, or they couldn't come to a specific location. So offering alternatives would be useful, or maybe at least um, swap it around, like as mm -hmm. an online and an offline meeting. Mm -hmm. That would be another option. Mm -hmm. So. As such, those are interesting times to try these out and see what people say and what they can do and uh, what they like. And so, yeah, I, I, as I mentioned to you before, my, my scientific uh, nerdy mind is, is very excited about all this data yeah. uh, that we're collecting. <laughs> yeah, in, in those wonderful times. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, to round off, um, I, I, I want to ask you this question. Um, really, what, what is making you hopeful at this time um, whilst we're in this weird crisis <laughs> situation? Uh, making you hopeful, Fran? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think there are a couple of things that make me hopeful. Um, the data we're getting out of this makes me very hopeful, um, and the the hopefully uh, the knowledge we gain out of this, uh, how we can facilitate specific things better, working from home, uh, sorting out online meetings, having maybe a new etiquette, using social media for different things. Um, I've heard of people that use Zoom now for family meetings and gatherings and board games and having dinner together and those types mm -hmm. of things. That is amazing. Um, the amount of companies supporting uh, local causes or global causes now with diverting their efforts. Brewdog is trying to create hand sanitizers, Dyson that is going into ventilator business, that type of stuff. That makes me amazingly hopeful. Um, the fact that we can show now that obviously the world is getting better if we just let it breathe for a little while makes me very hopeful. Yeah. <laughs> well, it should take like once a year rest. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, and allow the swans, yeah, and the dolphins to get back into Venice. 
um, that makes me very, very hopeful. Uh, I know that this is a challenging time for people, um, but I love the fact that we're exploring a lot of things now that we haven't for a long time or, or just uh, postponed because we felt we, we couldn't. Um, and and it's, it shows you now that certain things are possible if we put our mind to it. Um, the same with, I mean, climate change or climate, climate crisis. Certain things are possible if we put our mind to it. And yes, it will be hard, but we can do it together. And the communities that are building now, that makes me amazingly hopeful. And like I said, I do, do hope that this keeps going afterwards as well. Because it's incredibly helpful. People are still lonely or in need of help, even when this is over. Mm-hmm. Um, so taking a lot of the stuff now, getting lessons learned out of this, this is, yeah, what I'm hoping, what, what I'm hoping for we're getting out of this, uh, learning a lot of things. Um, yeah, putting a lot of those lessons learned into place. Mm-hmm. That's great. You know, um, so yeah, that that I guess that's that's everything that makes me hopeful. <laughs> and I do love, and I have to say this again, I do love my online yoga lessons with uh, yeah, the local yoga studio. Yeah. Um, so I'm hopeful they keep this going, but. online <laughs> <laughs> option, yeah. Yes, I mean, yeah, same with the per- the personal training trainers be able to provide or have like a side thing happening online would be really great like you say for 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 those who couldn't attend that day yeah 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 definitely yeah Yeah. so what day are you on now can you call yourself isolation if you're still going out to exercise and to the supermarket is that or 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 is that i think so I mean, I've not been to the supermarket in like three weeks, so I don't know what's going on there. I have to say. Confused. <laughs> going on there. <laughs> yeah, I think I said that. Yeah, I I try to order as much online as possible. I try to support businesses that otherwise maybe wouldn't have. Um, I wouldn't get any income at the moment, so I try to do that as much as possible, trying to avoid taking up space uh, at, at Waitrose or Tesco for people that need it. Yeah. Um, because I feel I have the means and I need to use my my power in that sense in a wise way and make sure that I not clock up spaces that other people need uh, when I can uh, go to the alternatives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's yeah, so at the moment, I'm I'm not going out uh, at all, uh, except for maybe doing my running, which I, again, put in quotation marks, like, once or twice a week, uh, in the evenings, usually. Yeah. Um, that's as far as it goes for me. So we'll see how it goes the next couple of weeks. But um, I found the, the online yoga sessions so incredibly helpful, Uh anyway so if I mm-hmm. if I can at least keep those going I think I, I will be able to survive the next couple of weeks mm-hmm. um she said yeah. no yeah I'm sure I'm sure you will be able to of course um yeah it's one of the things that's keeping us sane isn't it 
like we talked about earlier, just using using whatever tools that we, we have found helpful in the past to keep us physically and mentally yeah, healthy. Yeah. yeah, listening to the right podcast, uh, as I love, mm-hmm. um, you know, I mean, Brene Brown's work is amazing about self-compassion. Adam Grant's work uh, is, is amazing, too. Um, so it's, it's stuff like that uh, that, that really helps me through this as well. And I got my, uh, um, my knitting and my crocheting sets also here which I, I guess I have to I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. 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 It's about little projects and I think as long as we have those that helps as well. sent a voice message to me a short while after we recorded post her yoga session and um, she was thinking about the question that I asked her which is um, what makes a community what makes a community successful what do you need to build a community and she told me that another thing she would add is that to in order to build a community, you need facilitators. Facilitators that want to build a community, the ones that are there to introduce the new people or new members to existing members and are able to make connections with people in terms of networking and help the new members feel engaged within the existing or growing community and make them feel a part of the community so whilst communication is a key part you first of all need the people that are there to connect the people if not then you can't build a community to begin with i hope you enjoyed this episode's conversation and i hope you've gained some insight into what community building is like. I'm looking forward to meeting more inspiring dreamers and creators and doers that also start to tell us a story about building communities. Until then, stay tuned for the next episode.